Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. My name is Michelle Byrne and as always we'll be having a look at the weekend papers and stories of the week from a left perspective. Uh, the Week at Work is part of Left Block, a political education and media project and you can find more information or support us on patreon.com slash leftblock without the K. And this week on the show, uh, I am joined by Sive McLaughlin, who is a people for profit organizer, and Burr Grogan, who is a community activist. Thank you both for joining the show today. Um, Sive, you've had a very busy week this week. Um, you have been on the picket on Henry Street with Debenhams workers, and you've also been attending the and uh, participating in the Conference for Alternative um, United Ireland. And um, we'd love to hear um, what has been happening on the Devon's Picket from, from your perspective. Um, yeah, well, thanks for having me, Michelle. Um, yeah, Devon's Picket, obviously, it's been going for over a year now, 381 days today, I think, but 380 yesterday, I'm pretty sure. Um, so that's a chunk of time, a fair chunk of time. And um, it kind of... I'll give like a brief overview of what's been happening in the last few weeks because things kind of started to kick off back about three weeks ago at Blanchardstown where workers got a tip off that there was going to be a um like an attempt to remove stock and now that stock is the workers' last bargaining chip. So like for the workers who back in a big at the beginning of the pandemic, they were um they were made redundant and they had been given contracts back in 2016 that their redundancy was their two-week uh, two, um, two statutory, statutory redundancy for every week worked, plus another two added on by the company. And what they didn't get was they didn't get their extra redundancy that they were owed by the company. They didn't get their last week's wages and they haven't gotten any holiday pay. So that's like a chunk of change. And most of these women, it's not like they've been working there for 20 to 24 years. Like Carmel, who's a like close friend at this point and Jane shop sure um, they both worked there 24 years in fact they worked there longer because they were in roaches before it became Debenhams do you know what I mean so it's like they gave like a quarter of their lives you know to Debenhams um, and so they're not getting paid any of that so the stock basically they started picketing at the very beginning of the pandemic um, and they've just been preventing the removal of the stock since then to like to to use it because that stock is valuable like it's worth like several million euro and it, it like the, the amount that they're owed in redundancy is so affordable to a company like Davenham's it's you know there it's something like 11 million would cover every worker in Ireland it's like redundancy wages that they're missing holiday pay that they're missing and you know that stock is worth about 30 mil do you know what I mean so it was well able to cover it. Um, so that was being picketed for the last year and like very successfully, um, you know, uh, as a member of PPP, I was really proud and happy to be able to come in behind those workers and help bolster those pickets. The SP were there, militant left. So there was a huge group of, um, you know, there was a, there was a group of organised left alongside the workers. Um, and it was, it was really empowering, I think, for all of us. But um, last, about three weeks ago, uh, in Blanchardstown, there was a tip-off from the workers and it proved to be correct. And at about 3 a.m., well, at midnight, trucks arrived and about 3 a.m., they tried to leave four trucks. And uh, I think two of them were from Northern Ireland, from the north of Ireland, and the other two were from the UK. So, like, like they weren't they weren't following travel restrictions, you know what I mean? And um, we sat down on the road. I was there along with, you know, a chunk of Devon's workers, and we sat down in the road and we refused to let the trucks move because that's their redundancy. And um, 
guards arrived in force and they there's about 30 guards on the scene very very quickly and they read out the injunction and they picked us up and removed us and basically put us in a tiny corner between vans so we couldn't get out and like blocked us off when we were trying to get out but there was no dice um and that was all recorded live and they got the stock out of Blanchardstown so that was really disappointing and then since that incident about three weeks ago in all the shops that there was stock left in there was um, a huge amount of activity scab packers had gone in and they were packing up the stock and for us for the shop stewards they were very aware of why that was happening. And that's because on the 30th of this month, the shops in the north of Ireland are going to be opening up and Debenhams Belfast is having a massive closing down sale. So it's very clear what's happening there. They wanted to get the stock from the south. They wanted to move it up to the north and they wanted to sell it off for very cheap and get their money's worth. And that's like really disappointing. So we were aware that something was gonna happen and then on Thursday night into Friday morning, we got a tip off again about Henry Street. And Henry Street's kind of like the crown jewel of the shops. So it has the most expensive stock. It has most stock. And um, so it was probably, and it was just probably one of the strongest pickets. It was the first to go 24 hours um, at the beginning. Um, so we got a tip off about that. And we were able to get a huge amount of support workers and supporters down there. I, I was one of the people who was locked inside the loading bay with the workers. There was about 25, 30 of us in there. Um, when the guards, I had my skateboard because I always skateboard down because I live around the corner from the thing. So I was doing, when I got there, people were, there was a chunk of people there, there was like 25 of us there. And um, I skateboarded around down Moore Street onto Henry Street. And I saw that there was like 30 guards on Henry Street. And I was like, oh, that's not good. Um, so I skateboarded back as quick as possible. And um, I ran in and I was like, there's 30 guards there on Henry Street and at that point Jane Crow the shop steward she took charge of the situation she said right well what we're going to do is we're going to split into two groups Um, half of us are going to go to Henry to Moore Street because there's an exit there that you can get stuck out of so we weren't sure which way the guards were going to go we had cars blocking you know we had cars in the loading bay blocking that loading bay so like you weren't going to get stuck out of there pretty easily so um but before we were about to split into two groups the guards swung around the corner. They were in front of us, like within like 10 seconds. We were all just like, what the fuck? And um, we immediately closed the gates, locking ourselves in. And we just stayed there and we started chanting. And as like, it became very clear that that's where they were trying to move us from. So that's where we stayed. And, um, you know, it was actually really fantastic because once the guards arrived and once we were locked in, calls went out all over social media. Um, John Whipple, who works for PVP as well, he's like a star. He organized like a whole phone tree and he had like 100 people on this phone tree. So that was like a massive resource. We had all these people to ring who had said that they'd be willing to come down if something happened. So, you know, within an hour of that happening, we had like 100 people on the other side of the road who were all there to support us. We had, you know, loads of the local residents from like the flats around um, Parnell Street all came down it was actually kind of gas there half of them were in their pajamas like with their kids they had a few cans and stuff like it was really it was like a good atmosphere and we were we were purposely I have like a lot of videos on Twitter of it and um, you know we were purposely keeping spirits high because what the guards did they were purposely trying to isolate us the people who were inside the loading bay they parked their vans between the street they pushed all the supporters back there were three supporters who 
refused to get pushed back. They were sitting in the middle of the street uh, on the island. There's like an island in the middle of Parnell Street. So you can, it's a pedestrianized island. And they were just standing there, like shouting over, supporting the workers. And when they refused to move, those three young men were all arrested. And uh, like they were left in the slammer like for the whole, like for about five hours. So like that's quite disgraceful. So it's a very clear intimidation tactic from the guards. They parked their vans in the middle of the road. They pushed all the supporters back. And they wanted us to feel alone in that in that space, put up barricades. Um, and that was obviously like it was very obviously intimidation tactics. But despite that, we managed to keep we 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 found it was really important. We were keeping spirits high, like Jane Crow, Jane Crow and Carmel, Carmel Gash, she's one of the workers. Um, and uh, she she said to Ortiz the other day, she, they Ortiz were like, Oh, what do you want to say to KPMG? And she's like, nothing, they're shits. I was like, okay, Queen, um, go off. But um, she she was like to me, she was like, oh, will you just sing some ABBA? Like, that's Gat. Like, she'd be like, just sing ABBA. And I was there, like, trying to remember the words to Dancing Queen. Like, um, but yeah, we were singing and everything. So that was fine. And, um, you know, we could hear the crowd on the other side, like, chanting and singing. And they had megaphones and stuff. So that was really good. And then, obviously, the guards went in through the ILAC Centre. At one point, one of the security guys who works in the ILAC Centre came out because the guards had obviously called him out. And he spoke when he spoke to all the workers, he turned back because he didn't want to pass picket. And I think that's also really important. Do you know what I mean? Like there were workers and there's a lot of workers who wouldn't pass that picket and who really stood in solidarity with the Debenhams workers. There were a lot of truck workers who came down to pick up stock, not knowing it was for Debenhams because a lot of truck workers weren't told. And when they came across that picket, they refused to cross. So like there's been a lot of solidarity there. Um, eventually the guards did get in though. They came in through the ILAC center uh, and like into the back, like they came up under one of the shutters for the loading bay. So when that happened, we all linked together, sat down against the fence. And um, at that point, there was about 30 guards inside with us, another 30 outside. We, Dave gave me estimates there was like 100 guards, 80 to 100 guards there. Jane Crow estimates like 60 to 70. Like it's quite, it's really hard to tell, but like we know for a fact that there was more guards parked around on Frederick Street. So whatever they had there, they had more. And like the guards are saying, they had people pulled in from Tala, from Crumlin, from Blanche, from like from all over Dublin. There, It was a huge task force set up. They had the armed guards there. There were guards with handguns there. There was the um, public order unit. So like that's like a lot. And like let's and it, just to like really bring people back to what this is, this is a majority women workforce, right? And most of those women are in their 50s, 60s. And even some like some older, do you know what I mean? There was one woman who just taken, who had just retired there. She's in her seventies, and she was dragged out by the guards. There was another man called Paddy Kelly. He was a friend. He was dragged out by the guards. There's a video of that online. Do you know what I mean? These are not like, you know, like I was, I was in the majority there. I'm 22. I was in the like not the majority. I was in the minority there. Do you know what I mean? Most of the people who were there were much older. The guards came in, they read out the injunction. We told them there's no way we're moving. We've been here for a year. We're not getting up. This is our redundancy. And at many points, Jane Crow, the shop steward, and lots of other workers came forward and said, you are like, why aren't you doing anything about the labor, the unnecessary work that's, been, that's taking place under a level five lockdown behind that shutter? She was like, people are in there packing. Nothing, none of that stock is 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 vital like who needs a pair of like 300 euro jeans do you know what i mean like that's not it's makeup it's jeans it's you know it's not like vital things and it's not like it's not like clothes that you're it, it's like clothes that are very like they're fashioned you know what i mean it's not like 
it's nothing vital, nothing for what's necessary under a level five lockdown. Same was said during Blanche and the guard. They didn't, they were clearly there. It, it, it became very clear that the guards were there to enforce one perspective of the law because, you know, PBP solidarity, like they brought in stuff and like there's been motion to the doll now that like makes it so we can't be having like unnecessary work. Do you know what I mean? During level five lockdown. But this high, high court order obviously overturned that for some reason. So it's very clear which side of the law the guards fall on. And like the guards don't make the law, but they, they, they enforce it and they choose who they enforce it on. And they choose to the degree into the severity with which they force it. You know what I mean? So after they read out, the, um, out that injunction and we refused to move, that's when I started picking people up. Paddy Kelly, um, as I said, he was the first to go, 70-year-old. He was a 70-year-old man who just had his first job like two days before for the vaccine. Um, he was dragged out. Another guy, Michael O'Brien, who is a member of the Socialist Party, he was, he was, he was actually pushed really hard. He fell over. He was dragged by the guards. It went down the line. There was a 61-year-old woman who was linked to me. Fiona, um, she was dragged out. Like, there's actually a really harrowing video on Twitter. I don't know if anyone's seen it of um, Cara, her daughter, screaming as Fiona's dragged out, and she's saying, "That's my mom. That's my mom." And they're very rough with her. And you can just—it's actually—I it made me cry listening to it because obviously it was kind of weird for me because I'd been the one linked to Fiona and I'd been trying not to let go of her. But obviously, the guard—I'm I'm like five, I'm five foot three. There's <laughs> not much I can do. Like when the guards come for you, so I was trying to hold on to her, but. She got dragged away from me and then it, it was it made me really like emotional to see the other side of that, uh, what happened when she came out. And there's a huge crowd there trying to get to her and they just threw her on the ground. Like it was like and you can just hear Cara, who's about she's a bit younger than me, I think. And she's just screaming and crying and saying, that's my mom. Like, let her go, you bastards. Um, then they came for me. That was fine. Like they picked me up. They were pretty rough, but they just threw me out like um, then. But what was really shocking was the way they treated Jane and Carmel. Jane is a shock steward there. She was in intensive care over in November of with pneumonia. She was on a ventilator, like she so she's not been well. And um, they asked her to move. They uses they used an axle grinder at this point on the gate to get it open. Um, they asked her to move. She said no. They picked her up. They carried her with such force that they pulled up her top, her jumper, and they ripped open her bra. She was dropped on the ground in front of all the crowd. I was live recording this now. Most people were live recording and everyone had the decency. Every supporter had the decency to turn their phones up. But Jane was left naked from the waist up on the ground in front of the guard. The guards left her there. And Carmel, who had been dragged out just before, she'd been dragged out with such force that she had her arm really badly bruised. Now, this is a woman in her 60s um, and she'd been crying as she was dragged out like because of the pain. She was, I met her the next day. She was on painkillers for her life. Um, Carmel screaming and she ran in to, I think I have it on video she ran in to try and help Jane and the guards basically just grabbed her they screamed at her and they threw her back I tried to run in to help Jane because like it's a woman who like Carmel's very good friends with I've become very good friends with over the last year and you're seeing her there she's a very strong woman and she's been left topless without a bra and her bra's been ripped open and she's on the ground and the guards are kind of standing over all these men standing over her like it was really harrowing to watch. Richard was Richard Boy Barra had come down. He was there throughout the night trying to get in like trying to stay in contact with Jane. They were conversing. It was actually really nice at one point. The guards tried to move Richard on and he was he was saying, I'm a public rep and I'm here to be the voice of these workers. And the workers were shouting, Richard is our voice. I think there's a video on it. 
Um, and Dave Gibney was there with Richard and the guards were trying to move on, not just elected reps, but also union officials who were there to represent those workers. Richard was screaming at the guards. He tried to get in when Jane's top came off. He was like, get away from her. Like, we need to help her. And like Carmel's kids are screaming, she needs an ambulance. I tried to get in and they pushed us back with such force. I almost knocked the back of my head off the ground, but just a woman Alice caught me. Um, so yeah, that's what happened. Um, and that's kind of, that was kind of the height of it. What followed then was people sitting on the road trying to block um, the guards from leaving. So the guards were like actually blocking then Henry Street themselves. Like they were blocking the loading bay themselves. So we all sat on the ground to prevent them from leaving. Obviously people were picked up off from there as well. I was arrested, but that was the point that I was arrested at. Um, and yeah, so I, I kind of, then obviously the guards escorted a truck in. They got one truck out. There's two containers left in there. Um, so there's more stock to come out, but that's kind of the whole story there. So yeah. Um, thank you so much for that, Saiv. It's actually harrowing listening to some of those details um, mm. about how the, the workers have been treated on, like, in a peaceful picket. It's actually, like, I actually got kind of shivers there. Like, that's actually really upsetting to hear that they're treated with such lack of dignity when, you know, all they're trying to do is fight what, for what they deserve. And yet again, we're seeing this kind of, like, as you said, like, the guards have, like, discretion here to in how they implement or how they to police the law essentially and you are saying obviously that this is very much that uh, big money is talking and they're acting in the way that they want that they, that that benefits them and not the workers and like the fact that they are willing to glaze over the the laws when it comes to like the health laws around um the packers and stuff like not like that that to them isn't illegal but yet i i, I was actually speaking to one of the, the the men who were arrested on the street um, and they said they were arrested under health guidelines saying and like and that's why they were put in the back of a truck, not because they were sitting on the ground shouting, cheering on the, the workers. It was actually because they, they said they were in breach of COVID regulations and, and they weren't. Um, so there is this kind of discretion now with these COVID laws as well and how the police can use them now to break strikes. Um, but yet they won't use the same laws to actually recognise that the Packers inside are uh, breaking the same um, guidelines. And so what what law were you arrested under? Did they did they tell you? Um so yeah i was arrested under um section nine i was actually arrested for two things i was arrested because i'm you know i'm an overachiever um i was arrested under section nine of the public orders act and that's basically refusing to follow an order a guard's giving you so i was sitting on the road and i just said the guard came over to me and said you need to get up he was kind of a prick to be honest he was like really rude he was like you need to get up or you're getting arrested and i just said i looked at him and i said I'm not getting up. I'll happily get arrested, but I'm not getting up. And he said, right, get up. You're getting arrested. And I was like, did you, I didn't say this, but I was like, did you not just hear me? I just said, I'm not getting up. And then I just said, like, I was like, listen, you can arrest me. I'm staying here. Like I'm not leaving. And then he got me for, apparently that's resisting arrest as well. Although like he pulled me up. I was just went limp. Like I didn't, I wasn't like kicking and screaming. I was just like, I'm not moving. So that's what I was arrested for. And I just I just wanted to say, because what you're saying there was really um, like the lads who were arrested. Like I was the only one arrested for being a breach of like public orders, which is like refusing to do what the guys tell you. The other guys, that was COVID. And I just I just wanted to point out that when the Debenhams workers had one of their first protests um, right back at the beginning of the pandemic, Gemma O'Doherty actually had a protest the same day um, outside the forecourts. And the Debenhams workers were socially distanced, wearing masks, complete like a very and like as we know now, 
this stage into the pandemic, it's quite difficult to pass COVID outdoors. You know, um, we haven't seen any super spreader events really from mass protests or anything like that. Um, and they were all wearing masks. So they were outside Henry Street, socially distant. There was only about like 10, 15 of them. And Gemma O'Doherty at the same time was going to the high courts for her, whatever she was doing with the constitution and masks and something cra like crazy. But um, she was there and no masks, nothing. There was about 50, 60 people, 50 to 100 people there, according to the Irish Times. And uh, they didn't get any stick with the guards. And yet ordinary working class women who were socially distanced wearing masks, picketing within their 5K, were all moved on by the guards. And I just think that really shows like where, like, where the presence is when it comes to the guards, because they're not policing, you know, these anti-maskers. They're not really policing them but they are policing work, they're standing up for their own rights. Yeah, there's such a contrast there when you, when you point that out, like the disparity of like how different things are being policed. And there is that level of discretion. The guards can, you know, they have, a, they can interpret some of the laws in the way that they want. And I do have that concern that the, the COVID laws are being used in ways that they shouldn't be used, and um, which is quite worrying. Um, I was kind of struck as well by like, um, some of the other visuals that you're talking there about there. There was like two lines of vans and like how many guards. That is such... A heavy police response and angle grinders to cut the gates open. It's just, it seems like, like, yeah, it's it was obviously very well planned and thought out, and this has obviously been organised and put a lot of resources. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it kind of, kind of, um, it's quite shocking and like to see such a police response for for this when you know they've seen other examples of other pickets and the same thing happening again. Um, and I actually really love that the kind of the the kind of the the atmosphere that was created there. And I'm so glad that the, the workers at least had the community support going down, everyone chanting and singing. And I love that, like you trying to learn the ABBA lyrics um, from everyone else, but like, it kind of shows that like intergenerational effect that this picket has had. Like I know probably like me and you, Saif anyway, um, I, for me, and maybe probably Burr, but like this is one of the biggest uh, workers um, kind of like disputes that I've probably seen mobilized. Um, and it's, it's been for me anyway, it's been quite inspiring. Like I've been on the picket down in Waterford and, you know, again, the solidarity that's been there and um, getting to know the women. And, you know, as you said, like you call them friends now as well. It's been really incredible. But like there's such huge learning here for for many young people, I think, that are coming up watching this or helping out on the pickets for the first time. And it's been really interesting learning. Um, and I think, yeah, I think our generation will definitely um, have a different approach to how, you know, not standing, standing for injustices like this. Um, and I hope people see the the benefit of like organizing, unionizing in this way um, to stand up for us. And like, obviously it's been a huge struggle, but it's been a big learning opportunity, I think. What do you? No, I definitely agree. I would say that like, um, like the work, like I think for the left in general, the Debenhams strike has been really important because, um, you know, like I, the, the, at Jane and stuff, are always like to me, like, oh, like we wouldn't have been able to do this without you. Like talking about PVP and stuff, like, oh, you know, Richard and Breed, they always come down and you're always here, like supporting the picket and stuff like that. And, you know, we really appreciate it. And we're always just like, stop. Like, you know, you're kind of like, I'll go away with that. Like, it's grand. Like, obviously, like, what is, what is a, so you're not going to be, <laughs> what socialist isn't going to support a picket? You know what I mean? Um, but, there was one thing one of well, someone said to them uh, I think it was Mary Smith actually Breed Smith's sister and she was just like you keep thanking us but um like what you don't realize is you've kept us going during this pandemic and that's really true because the pandemic's been very difficult for the left you know what I mean we for most socialists 
um the street is where you organize you go out in your workplace you're on protests it's that kind of that's the where the action is and during the pandemic we've really retreated from the streets and we've also seen the far right get out onto the streets because we're, we've been retreated from the streets so to get involved with the Devlin's picket to have workers show to have workers lead the way and show us how we can have safe socially distanced protests during the picket how we can continue to during the uh, pandemic of the picket, how we can continue to support workers' rights and fight for workers' rights. And that's been, uh, I think, a source of um, really necessary, like nutrients for the left throughout this pandemic, which, you know, has been hard for everyone. Um, but, you know, especially for like the far left, because a lot of our politics happens in workplaces and on the streets. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, yeah, and I think it is that like, because obviously the the left uh, care for workers and they care for workers health and don't want to put anyone at risk. So that that kind of trying to find that balance, but also being able to stand up and fight for our rights and trying to figure out, especially when there's no, there has been no proper published rules about how you can protest in a pandemic, because, you know, there is that right to protest as well. And it can kind of conflicts with some of the COVID laws. And it's like, well, which trumps which law? And like, how can we still have that protect that right to protest um while also protecting workers health um and it's like been that kind of conversation as well and i know a lot of people have been conflicted as to what what can happen and how and but now it's more like we can do it but how can we do it as safely as possible well i think the right to protest is one that needs to be defended inherently throughout this pandemic and i do think that because we've seen in the uk that's been rolled back on to detrimental effects do you know what i mean and like the right to protest, like we've seen from during uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, well, not quite the beginning, but in the May after the pandemic started, we saw the death of George Floyd and we saw the huge Black Lives, we saw the Black Lives Matter movement um, grow massively and we saw huge protests and mobilizations on the street. And what we didn't see from that was super spreader events. We didn't see mass community transmission go up. And obviously most of the people who were protesting, you know, we're left leaning probably we're wearing masks etc so of course when you go out it's important to wear your mask and try and stay as socially distanced as possible um but you know i do think it's really important for people on the left to defend the right to protest because in the state's hands that's um it's it, you can't trust the state with that kind of thing and we've seen that from the way the guards responded to the Devon's workers the other night and from how the police in the uk are responding to women who are you know protesting the murder of a young woman at the hands of police officers do you know what I mean sorry yeah no I just can uh, I just wanted to jump in there and say thank you so much for giving such a um an oversight of what it's like from the positives of the solidarity and you know the singing and the friendships to the actual horrors of seeing older and vulnerable people being you know thrown around by the guards and like it's I knew it was going on and I've been kind of following online and bits and pieces and obviously you know was encouraging people to not shop online on Debenhams throughout the pandemic and everything you know having all of those conversations but to hear it all laid out exactly like that you know rather than just seeing the snippets on on Twitter and stuff it was really really I found it quite upsetting um and really really powerful and yeah I think it's just it's that thing of it's the the working class women um you know in in the the in the Debenham shops and I, I really liked how Michelle said about like our generation I'm old enough I'm of the generation to remember when it was roaches <laughs> I was I might have even bought a Debs dress in there when it was roaches um 
but and I also wanted to say sorry that your hair is fab I know people can't see it on the podcast but it's a fab <laughs> color and it's very cool also it'd be really handy you know when you are protesting if you have masks and stuff on you know you could spot side you'd be like there she is with her pink hair um so I've dyed her hair as a as a kind of a disguise um after her last arrest uh, that, that, they, that they might arrest her again but I don't think it worked very well no it didn't time. it didn't be the sergeant actually because I've, I've been arrested before I was arrested in September for very similar things for occupying the Henry Street store um and the sergeant when I got arrested um she was like oh you're back and I was like yeah and she's like your hair's pink and I was like yeah I was hoping you wouldn't notice me <laughs> it didn't work yeah no Sure, they, don't they have, remember there was a story about like some lefty activist database that the guards were having and we were all saying, well, what sort of profiling are you, are you doing on us? Mm. Um, yeah, sure. if, if you want to profile us anyway, I think coloured hair might be, a, me hair, my green hair, and so I have the pink anyway, <laughs> if, that, if that's part of the lefty profilers. Um, um, Burr's lovely red hair. No, that's, yeah, then there's, there's, there's my generation who dye our hair to cover the greys. <laughs> <laughs> But that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, and it's lovely as well. You were um, also um, busy this week and other, and other things as well. You were at the conference for Alternative Ireland, um, Alternative United Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it was like actually a really fantastic event. About 780 people registered in the end, which was um, really well done. And shout out to Connor Reddy, who did a lot of work for that um so you know icon if you will um that was yeah it was really I think it was a really important event because you know a United Ireland is something that's becoming much more pressing in our political environment and it's something that's kind of a question that's becoming more and more prevalent both north and south of the border and I think it's a question that the left and when I talk about the left I mean the socialist left the anarchist left the leftist left really need to wrestle with and think about um, because there is different perspectives on the left around United Ireland and I think it's something that we need I think there needs to be a broad campaign of trade unions socialist organizations and parties coming together to make their voices known on this because you know a United Ireland that's just under Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, DUP while like United Ireland will be a pot in that positive under Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and the DUP it's not going to be any change it's not going to be United Ireland for workers and I think the name of the conference was a, the conference for an alternative United Ireland and I think the prospect of United Ireland is something the socialists should really be positive about and welcome because it's a place from which we can start from scratch do you know what I mean and really build an Ireland to put workers at the center of everything we do that is fair and equitable for all that puts eco-socialism at the center of what we do that puts feminism migrants rights um anti-racism at the center of what we do do you know what i mean absolutely and it's a huge opportunity like when you think around like the constitution that we're currently working off you know really centers the rights of property um and stuff like that and i know um Burr probably talk about this in a minute as well like there's been recent recommendations even coming through from the Citizens Assembly for um, Gender Equality on changing the constitution and those kind of bits as well. And like, I think that wider conversation, the discussions that were had, um, it looked like a fantastic lineup. I didn't get to go to it myself, but I know, Burr, you attended um, one of the sessions as well. 
I did. Yeah, um, I was a bad activist and did go to the whole day session. Um, but I, I tuned in for the, the last session from from four to five. And um, yeah, you're right. So I've Connor is Connor's a legend. Uh, I'm in Dublin Northwest here with him. So even on anti-racism stuff and things like that that we're doing, he's he's always really great in the constituency. Um, and yeah, it like the whole day looked absolutely amazing and I think the sessions have been recorded so they will be available for people to, to pop back in and out of um, and my one was the uh, so Thomas Pringle was speaking at it and Jerry Carroll um, and then they had um, Connor was chairing it and there was like the surprise guests were two of the women from um, Debenhams that were, that were speaking to Jane and Carmel yeah yeah so um that was brilliant so we got to, to hear from them as well um and yeah it's just I suppose like it's like as, as, as I've said I completely agree with it with everything she's saying and there is there's an opportunity here but I I was thinking of um Aoife Grace Moore the Irish examiner um journalist who's I think Derry that she's from but she's been speaking like listening to her speak about it and she's like you know it's the not sexy issues of like healthcare and infrastructure and all of that kind of stuff that like you know the, they have the NHS she said when she moved down to the south I think when she went to the doctor and had to hand over 60 quid for like you know a five minute consultation and a prescription and she thinks that like it's those kind of infrastructural things that will have such a huge impact on people in the north um, that it's those kind of nitty, uh, nitty gritty details um, that that need to be talked about, not just like oh let's have a border poll or or, or this. It's, it's also about all of the the other aspects. And then we have you know we've obviously the DUP and the abortion rights um, stuff that we've all been fighting for for the, the whole island, you know, and that has to be reproductive rights for every um, pregnant person across the island. Um, it can't just, you know, so there's, yeah, there's so many issues around like healthcare and education and, and all of that kind of stuff. Sorry, Sive, did you want to? Yeah, I actually, I just wanted to come in and say like what you just said there, I think gets to the heart of the issue. And I think that's why it's so important for socialists to be involved with this issue, because if we want to have a real United Ireland that's not divided with um, sectarian bitterness, right? what we need is working class unity and only a socialist perspective can give that. And it's, it's quite reasonable if you're, you know, from a Protestant community in the North, you have the NHS, right? You don't want to move into the South. If you want people to come and join the, like the, I'm sorry, when I say, I don't mean join the South. I, I mean, I want, I want a United Ireland that's not just an amalgamation of six into like, you know, the six counties into the South or, what the, the southern counties into the north i want a new island with a new constitution where we enshrine the right to housing where we have a national health service where we have a, the complete separation of church and state where we have you know you know as i said health healthcare, housing and education free education for all so yeah i just really wanted to come in again and say i think what barry says really cuts to the heart of the issue and it's not just about getting a vote through it's about really convincing people that their material their material will materially benefit them to be part of a united ireland and that like it's so like i'm like i want to live there i want to live in that ireland that sounds so amazing and it's that thing of and this is probably a, a, a bit of a tangent but it is about working class communities and it is about 
you know, disenfranchised communities around the whole island and getting people registered to vote and making people see that there are politicians for them or that there are roots into politics for them so that they're represented by people who look like them, who sound like them, who believe the things that, that they, they do, who were brought up like them, who are not these career politicians who are just inheriting seats from their, their dads. Um, and that's a, like, I think there's a huge piece of work to be done around um, voter registration for it to be done by like unions and, and community activists where we're going into the, the areas with low voter turnout and stuff and be like, unless we start voting together, you know, we're, we're just constantly going to have the, the, the change. Um, but it also gives me a nice segue into the Citizens Assembly stuff that I might, yeah, um, so we're talking about constitutional change. It's like we practice that and set it all up, um, the flow. Um, so yesterday, um, the Citizens Assembly gave its results. Um, it had been examining the issue of gender equality. Um, and for a lot of us, I think, well, I know for me anyway, Citizens Assembly it, it was mainly about like the um, the Eighth Amendment and, you know, watching all of the things and sending in submissions and, you know, sitting crying, looking at the results. But the Citizens Assembly have been bopping away, doing amazing work in the background on different issues. Um, and the so there's a, a lot of um, there was a lot of stuff all over the news and everything yesterday of the results. But like the big thing for me is people, the people of Ireland are so far ahead of government and politicians like they're so they're so much more inclusive and caring and empathetic and can see the greater good um as socialists really <laughs> if only we could give them a proper socialist government um but one of the things that they were talking about was article 41 of the constitution which is an article on the family and 41.2 says in particular, the state recognizes that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. And everyone's like, you know, oh, boo, that's so sexist, that's so shite, that's whatever. And Fine Gael, I think, were coming out saying, we'll have a, a referendum to just remove that article, let's just delete it. But as conversations were being had about this article, it was it was feared that, and us knowing Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, um, that this would take away any sort of constitutional support for caring and any sort of constitutional support and recognition for carers in the home and for work in the home. Uh, yes, it's um, the way it's worded, it's, it's sexist and it's misogynistic and it's all of that kind of, you know, Deb's good stuff. But um, the, the danger was well, you know, people would think it was a simplistic argument and would vote to have it removed. And then Fine Gael and them could be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, if you're, you know, looking after a family at home, you're not paying your your stamps for your pensions and all of that kind of stuff. So our excellent 90 citizens who, you know, would um, hopefully do vote uh, um, for, for our, our government, uh, not the government that we have now for, for future governments. So 94.4% of them voted that, it, that the article should be changed, so amended or deleted, and 84.3 voted that it be deleted but replaced with a provision relating to care that would not be gender specific. So this is brilliant, this is huge, and it's, it's that thing again of, you know, some of the, the, the Fine Gael women, you know, who just because they're women we think they might be feminists and then you, you know, read their see their policies and politics and you're like no no you're actually not um 
that that simplistic argument of like, oh, let's just get rid of it out of the constitution. No, we want carers to be recognized. Carers give a huge amount. But if carers stopped caring and giving free care across the country, the country would collapse. Like it's billions of hours of, of care each year. Um, so, and then, so 80%, 81% of them voted to replace with a language not gender specific and which obliges the state to take reasonable measures to support care within the home and wider community. So again, our citizens are far more understanding and progressive and understand, understand real life and that the state does have a role to play and it should be responsible. This isn't a case of, you know, that you should just be, be sitting at home and doing your best and, you know, for the common good. Um, so yeah, there was there was loads of other bits and pieces yesterday. They were the kind of the, the highlights of the news and stuff, but there was actually, and I don't know if you just want to have a chat about them, but there were some really great, like just, I would absolutely recommend to look at the results of the, the Citizens Assembly, because from childcare to union rights to uh, maternity care for elected reps, um, there's some really exciting stuff in there and I, I like and it's interesting right because I, I I had a read of the Sunday Times this morning um ahead of today and there's a very small column about the Citizens Assembly um and how it actually it backs state childcare so that we would have publicly funded childcare and I think obviously there's been huge conversations around this particularly around like the SIPTU um campaign for the big start making sure that the workers get paid um and professionalize the practice and I think yeah obviously it's now becoming a, a place where all of these elements of care whether it be childcare or care in the home for carers have all been becoming more privatized and it's now become an industry in itself and it's, it was a new market created to get you know women into workplaces and all of that you know for, for gender equality reasons but actually it was to kind of fund this economy that, that they needed all of these workers for and it's really interesting that you mentioned as well um about the the female uh Fianna Gael uh politicians you're not exactly representative uh of this like you know women uh, getting women into politics because we want women with the right politics in, po yeah. in politics is what we want because otherwise we're just going to see more of the same like you know um and it is interesting because women for election are actually uh, quoted in the article that, that I um read but it also talks about giving women um uh, maternity, uh, actual maternity leave for elected reps, which obviously we've seen played out in the media quite a lot this year because it's the first time it's been properly addressed. It's scandalous. And like when we talk about like women getting into politics and what the barriers are there and why there's so few, it's, it's issues like that that's actually, mm -hmm. you know, that, that those kind of things. But also there was, a, I, I, I saw a recommendation, I didn't, didn't get it from this article anyway, but it was a recommendation for collective bargaining as well, which is really mm -hmm. interesting to see that put forward. Um, and also the assembly members said that they were prepared to pay higher taxes if necessary to fund improved public services and social protection, which is a brilliant thing to see in writing. It's brilliant to see that recommendation coming from a general uh, group of people, of 100 people in the Citizens Assembly who are recommending that. Um, and it really shows that we do value our public services and we do uh, value publicly funded good services. And, and obviously, I think so many people are affected now by the cost of all of this privatized elements of caring that it is becoming very very you know like people either have to take they can't work because they can't afford the childcare, or it's, it's really it's it's really a nearly almost a second mortgage for a lot of families which is mm. just not affordable when you're doing so many other things to balance and I know like a lot of people would almost be like pushing forward like when they would start to have kids and like considering that because it's it's becoming such um you know it's just not affordable for them but it is it's really exciting to see this conversation I know when um they tried to have the conversation about the constitutional piece around the women in the home and like they had it on the agenda it kind of rushed it through and it kind of went all 
full airspace on them because they didn't they didn't really have the conversation about it in, in a public manner and people weren't informed about what that really meant there was a lot of confusion you know if you remove it and not replace it then you know is that element of uh, you know, carers being actually uh, respected and acknowledged for the work that they do in the home going to be just completely diminished, and would that uh, kind of remove any obligation of the state to support them in any way? So I think the conversation was definitely really needed ahead of that referendum, which I'm mm-hmm. assuming they're they're going to be recommending now as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes, and it'll be interesting to see how the when they fully release this report because I think it goes to cabinet um during the week. So I'm sure there'll be a lot more conversation in the media. I really hope it's a lot more than this little column that I've just read in the Sunday Times for a start. Now, I know it only happened yesterday, but still expect yeah. a big wider conversation about this in the media so that people can fully be informed ahead of a vote um, on it. Well, I think, and that's the thing, like obviously the Citizens Assembly just makes recommendations to the government. They can just sit on the report then and not do anything about it. But like some of the other ones, so when you're saying there about the right to collective bargaining, 96.7 of them voted in favour of that. 97.8 voted in favour to increase the minimum wage to align with the living wage by 2025. You know, statutory right to reasonable access to flexible working, 95.6. Like these were you know huge majorities across the board it's absolutely brilliant like it was one of those things I know we can all feel disillusioned with politics and policing and the arms of the state and and all of that so so often and then to see these results was just absolutely brilliant and it just gives me hope and it it does make me hopeful that the the general electorate are, are much more understanding than than the government yeah well it really it really shows that the the people that we have in our go- in this government that are are not, not representative of no. the general uh, public, and it goes back to what you're saying around you know encouraging people to get to get involved in politics. But like it really just shows that they like when they're they're given the space for public participation, which we should see more of. We should see more citizens assembly type things. We should see more conversations happening at local level, at local government level, and actually giving the power to be of to people to be able to influence policy essentially like mm-hmm. we shouldn't be just electing this one person and saying okay grand whatever like let them go off and do whatever they want if they're not continually coming back to the citizens that elected them or didn't elect them for the most part um, i will probably listen to this podcast but um i think yeah that that conversation needs to happen so if you wanted to say something there as well yeah i just um like first of all i thought the point about um women in politics was really important and i think the argument shouldn't necessarily be more women in politics if we should be more socialists in politics and more socialist perspectives in politics because you know i think that like identity based oh you're a woman so you have the same interests as me is kind of just it's silly because let's be honest you know a rich woman doesn't have the same interests as me a uh, pink haired uh, my box dye pink hair um getting dragged away by the guard's ass like it's just not the same thing um but I just think what Bear was saying there I thought that was really important was the fact that the citizens are way ahead of the government and the fact that this government is not representative and we know it's not representative because they didn't get any kind of majority this is a scrape to get together it's the greens it's the first time Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil have had to go in together we can see how unpopular they're becoming the Greens are acting as their mudguard. It's a completely just thrown together, um, shoehorn government because of its own unpopularity. And I think like we've we saw during the like abortion rights referendum, it was working class communities that came out for the most yes votes. And that really shows that it's working people and it's the ordinary people in this country who are them who are miles ahead of the government and they're way more progressive. And the point is that lots of them don't vote because they don't feel like it actually makes change because we see 
you know, the likes of Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, doing everything they can to exclude Sinn Féin and to exclude the left from government, even though they haven't, they're not representative of people. So I think that's really important what Bear was saying. Like, I just thought, I just really wanted to come back on it because it's like, mm. you know, it's so true. And we saw it during, the, we saw it during equal marriage, we saw it during um, abortion, the abortion referendum. And like, we're seeing it with the Citizens Assembly each time the people are so, and especially working people are so much further ahead of yeah. this government. Absolutely. And like, that's it. Like the policies um, that neoliberal governments have have in place are disproportionately affecting a lot of those working class people as well. Like, so no wonder a lot of people are like, well, I don't see myself in politics, but I don't also the politics that I see inherently goes against me at every corner. So I can completely understand why people do kind of opt not to engage. And actually, there is a lot, a lot to be said for outside, outside organizing, outside of electoral politics. You know, a lot of people are joining campaign groups and coming campaigning those ways. Um, and not really engaging in a lot of the electoral systems and actually supporting each other in their own communities. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget the videos that went viral at the start of um, lockdown of some of the communities in the flats in Dublin, where everyone was out supporting each other. They were keeping keeping the, the good vibes going. They had like bingo out on the terrace. And really like, that's the kind of community support we should be looking at. Like, and that, that is what the, that, that people are doing now because they, they can't rely on the government. They can't rely on the government for whether it be mental health services or even to, to, to handle the pandemic well so they're just taking it into their own hands and that community care I think is so important as well. I think that's so important and I think like you can look throughout history and see that radical change has never happened in the halls of parliament and it never will. Radical change only happens when people come out on the streets and make it happen and I think that's like where it all comes back to do you know what I mean? I think just part of this that links in with with everything that we've been talking about from working class women to gender equality to you know socialists in in politics and in the doll is it's not accessible for people it's not like it's so expensive to run um to run either for the the council or for the doll unless you have big um, party money behind you unless you have the name it's so much easier for incumbents to continuously get re-elected the whole system is built to keep the career politicians in there and to make it harder for people who are representative of our communities to to get into the doll and we were actually um pretty sure this no it's not i'm like this isn't confidential is it no it's not uh, on monday some of us um iraqta staff were in the wrc uh, in the workplace relations commission because if you're a secretarial assistant in the doll the starting wage is 24 grand so it's like seven or eight grand under a living wage you usually have to be based in well depending on on the person you're working with you might be based in dublin so you're supposed to be paying rent all of that kind of stuff you're doing mad hours um how are people supposed to get into that area of work if you can't afford to, to there's so many brilliant activists and brilliant people in communities um who can't like if if you make a, a career change or whatever or you decide to get involved in, in politics you're starting off at the, the start of the, the scale it's actually ridiculous like it's really ridiculous and we have this whole thing about restructuring and regrading because I think back in the day secretarial assistants were originally um brought in as dictaphone typists and as we know, also back in the day, it was a lot of, you know, jobs for family members and all friends. And, you know, like the amount of times I've gotten calls in there, be like, oh, you know, your dad, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 not my dad, my boss. Um, you know, so there's been this kind of evolution of the roles and the people working in there. And like, I walk around, I certainly often, now I, I, it's not true, but I often feel like one of the um, 
very few, you know, working class um, people that, that, that's been there, you know, it, until Lynn Rowan got in the Shannon, I didn't feel like there was, you know, or even the likes of, you know, people who sound like us, people who look like us, um, you know, there's no people of colour around the place at all, even within the, the staffing. So I was making the point to them of like, you know, if as a national parliament, we want to become more diverse and representative, then you have to be creating a, a workplace environment and terms and conditions and roots into the working in, in politics, whether it's, you know, in the, the office levels that, that it's available to people, um, maybe with disabilities from uh, traveler backgrounds, everything like just so it's you're getting different voices at the table and it's not at the moment. It's still the middle class white, you know, all knowing each other. And it's a, you know, a nod there and, a, and like even the snobbery around um, the the um what people wear sometimes in the doll like I know you know there was stuff around Gino recently when he cycled in like Gino's always going around on his bike you know and it's like just because you, you can't know, drive <laughs> yeah. but like he's absolutely brilliant and yes. whether he's wearing a tie or not does not make him better if they have a fancy suit and that's something just that whole snobbery around those classes so I think like and, and part of that is is what excludes women from politics as well it's because it's it's the 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 old boys club it's so much like it's I think it's absolutely brilliant that Helen McEntee has taken this stand to say I'm starting a family I'm going to take my my maternity leave um and that that's opened up conversations um and yeah and the, so one of the things was around gender quotas as well and I remember you know during the, the last elections having that conversation with some people where it was like because obviously I'm, I'm a, a staunch feminist but it is that thing of a right-wing woman isn't necessarily going to be more of a, a feminist than, than a left-wing male um so it's it is it's about the, the politics and, and policies um, i would even go so far as to say a right-wing woman is much further from a feminist than a left-wing man you know what i mean yeah yeah it's about the material benefits that like like feminism is about material benefits for women you know sorry to interrupt it's so interesting as well, like the, that these, as you say, like middle class, upper class men are so intimidated um, just because other people aren't wearing suits like them. Like, how dare we challenge the structures that they've created and to create it to, to look and suit for what they want. Um, so anyone who's not wearing uh, a suit and is a white man is just like, how dare you wear cycling clothes into the doll or how dare you have a, a different accent um, or how like like. It's just there's so many barriers in place, but like, yeah, and like it's been really interesting as well what you're saying around how that even like stems in, in even from the staff point of view in the back of, uh, from the back of those elected um, politicians as well. Like those politicians, like the cheek of them, like getting all of these raises and all. And are any of them standing up for their staff? Have, oh, you, seen, have you seen any of them like coming to the table and really advocating for? a living wage for the people that work for them even so in fairness there there are some good ones in there and there was a motion in the shannon in the last shannon that actually got a unanimous support um because particularly in the shannon the secretarial assistants there do the work of parliamentary assistance in the dolls so they're writing speeches they're writing legislation they're doing all of that that work um and deeper, the Department of Public Expenditure Reform have said, you know, we're not interested in looking at any sort of restructuring or regrading of, of any roles and, you know, like off, off you go. Um, but no, so there are some um, who have been really, really supportive because they know the work that we do. They see the work that we do and they know that like, you know, that a lot of us are invaluable to them. And I, I say that with like, I don't mean to sound 
big head. I, I know I've, I've met some of the most brilliant people in there and it's a huge mentor and it's a really, it is a really hard job to be a politician. It is a really hard job. Uh, some of them are, are better at it than others. Some of them do better um, work um, and in fairness to all of them, it is, it is a tough job. But then when you have the likes of Robert Watt, you know, going, oh, I'll waive my 90 grand increase um, for this position. And then you have people working in the departments, again, who can't afford to eat or pay their rent. Um, like it's just so, and I know that's like that's across the board with everything as well. But it is, it's just, it's very galling. Um, it's very galling. To, I mean, I'm still, you know, in the background going strike, strike, strike. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. But apparently, we have to have more talks and stuff. Be inspired by the Debenhams workers there, and oh, they're so occupying the doll there. I think that's, that's the dream, lads. <laughs> I think that's a really important point, though, as well. And I think that's something that's indicative of our politicians and also of our union bosses, because, um, like, how can you represent, like, the majority of people, 80% of people in Ireland are working class. You know what I mean? Most people don't make more than 30, 40 grand. Um, and, you know, 30, 40 grand, fine, but, like, it's not that much money. Um, and we see it in not just in the doll like i know for people before profit rtds only take home 35 grand they only take home average industrial wage because it's really important and i think the socialist party do the same it's really important as socialists that we don't take home all this money because how can you represent the average worker if you're on 100 grand more than them and it's the same in the unions and i don't think i think like a lot of union bosses are on massive money and it's like how can you genuinely like for example mandate who really dropped the ball on the Debenhams picket. They really dropped the ball. And, um, you know, fair play to Dave Gibney, who came down to the strike the other night. But Debenhams, Jerry Light has really dropped the ball. And Jane Crow called him out on RTE the other day. But, like, the fact, how much do those union bosses make? How can you genuinely represent workers if you are on 100K when, the like, mandate are representing the poorest workers among us they're representing the service industry bars all this thing like that they're not making chunks of money do you know what i mean so i think that's really important i think that's something that needs to be looked at both in the doll in the unions and in any position where people are making decisions over people uh people are leading people etc like you know and i think i might sorry michelle i know you, i know you want us to talk about the, the papers but that reminds me of an issue that's not been covered in the papers that's really really important um which was covered the journal covered it a couple of weeks ago but it's affordable housing and people the, the majority of us on the the working class wage or, or that um can't afford to buy a home and particularly if you're a single person you know there's just uh, and in dublin there you literally can't like i have a friend at the moment who is trying and everywhere that's in her budget and, and like that she's that she's above the 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 um, average wage she has a good job she has a good wage but she's on her own and she doesn't have you know someone to go well here's the 50 grand difference that you need so the places she's looking at and now what they're doing at the moment is you have to bid on a place before you can go see it because of level five so they're artificially inflating the house prices before someone actually steps foot inside the door to see whether they want to buy it or not Ireland's uh, like, one of the only countries where house prices went up during this pandemic it's insane Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And like even in Waterford, where you know that we'd be starting at a very lower, much lower bar than you would have to in Dublin, like it's still difficult. Like, and like I know for me anyway, and probably side, like generation rent, like there's a reason why we're called that. Like, it's very 
hard for us to think about how we will ever get onto a property ladder or like even and like and like I was at um Worry Hearn had a conference on oh, yeah. the, the home as a housing right um during the week as well worth mentioning and plugging as well but like I, I was speaking at that as well but there were some really um good uh discussions around that and like how like and there was a question posed to me about like you know does the right to a home resonate with you as a young person and I was like like I just want the right to security over my head like if it means like better tenure of rent or like security of tenure for rentals that that's like literally that I just want that sense of security when it comes to home I don't want to constantly have looming over my head will I will I be getting evicted like I had my landlord decided to paint the house during lockdown um, and I was like, oh my God, he's getting ready to sell. This is mm-hmm. it. I'm going to be turfed out soon. And like most of my friends in Waterford were evicted during the lockdown to sell houses. So like obviously we're seeing some people kind of like move out from cities and stuff. Um, Waterford is, there's some development happening. So people are starting to look at Waterford as an investment opportunity. So now these houses are being um, kind of like bought up by people who are probably either going to like as it is just going to be in for investment purposes. It's very likely that it is uh, family homes that they're actually creating. Um, and I know... Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, and I, like I will, I, I might leave it at that and we might just move, move on to yeah. again some other, like that we've had such good conversations here and we have actually covered a lot of like news that's actually happening anyway. But I was wondering, um, so do you have any kind of um stories that you were reading over this morning ahead of this today? Um, I was just laughing. I was like, this is like, we could just keep talking. If we were at a pub, we'd be here for hours. <laughs> Absolutely. I, said, I, I was saying, you know, we record a lot of the times on Sunday mornings and I said, but look, it's, it's my replacement for a Saturday night pint uh, <laughs> wearing the ear off someone like and I think that that's kind of what the space is now. But yeah, if there's a story that you want to bring on. Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, what I was looking at a lot, I'm going to be honest, I did not read the papers that much this week because I was arrested and I'm coming to the end of my college degree and <laughs> um so I did my homework this morning for the podcast and I like looked up the Irish Times and I was like oh my god and one thing that really annoyed me was there was like a sponsored like um there's a sponsored thing which I didn't know they do but they do sponsored stories sponsored by Volkswagen about how you can have the biggest environmental impact in your life and it was completely just it was like this young like professional family in like Ramla or somewhere and like no harm to them I'm sure they're nice people or whatever but they were just like we build all our own things and we you know we eat completely we eat like all re, re, like sustainable and you know vegan and all this stuff and I was like that's great but like this story is has no teeth this story means nothing and this is really not going to do anything when uh, and like the kids like they were lovely kids but they were just like you know it's all about what you can do personally and stuff and that just like turned me the wrong way greenwashing and like really individualizing the fight for climate action when we know what needs to be led as a collective it it was sponsored by by volkswagen which i I thought was really funny and they had they had an ad for their electric car at the bottom so that like that really yeah. me off. And I actually, uh, I think it was last week's episode, um, I read, or the one before where I, I read an article where it was like, there's actually more cars on the road now. So like, while, while we're saying, oh, we can't advertise these petrol and diesel cars because, you know, public pers- public opinion now is moving on from that. So we'll just promote electric cars really hard. But like, at the end of the day, you're promoting cars. You're promoting car usage. So like, It's also like the mining to get the batteries for those electric cars has huge, hugely detrimental um, effects to the environment. And it also just fails to understand, like, if we really want to talk about, like, transformative change, we need to talk about capitalism. 
And like, if we want to talk about something practical that we can do today, we need to talk about free public transport, free green public transport. Like a Volkswagen's fine, but it's like, it's not going to do anything. And like, even further than that, we need to talk about taxing aviation, like, like uh, airplanes and like flight companies, what do you call airplane companies, you know, uh, like Aer Lingus and Ryanair. And we need to talk about like, taxing the multinational companies, taxing the 100 companies who make 71% of global emissions. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's great for you to be a vegan, but like, I feel like a lot of the time that's kind of, someone will say I'm a vegan and that's where the conversation stops. And if you want to be a vegan, you should be a vegan, but it's actually, it's not going to make the changes you think it's going to make. The only thing that's going to make the changes is if we really force the people in power to not be in power anymore. <laughs> Yes. just forced enough to be a parent you know what I mean but it's going to be transformative societal change yeah because it, and it's the usual narrative from Fine Gael, Fine Fall, where it's like pitting us all against each other of like oh well yeah you're a vegan and you're not recycling enough and oh they shop in pennies you know fast fashion and, and in the meantime allowing like all these data centers and everything to be built that are you know using huge amounts of, of water and power and you know yeah like it's just it's like they make us look at each other and try and fight amongst each other for scarce resources while all of this um all of this other bigger stuff and um, much more dangerous and, and nefarious stuff is going on you know I, I actually got to um in Thomas's speech on the climate action bill during the week I got to blame capitalism greed and the patriarchy <laughs> oh yeah like, let's say this you know well, what do you think and he was like yep <laughs> so we got that on the doll record um I'm just thinking so I also didn't have time to look at um any of the, the newspapers this morning I'm sorry but you know because I was you know I wasn't planning to to be on this lovely podcast with you lovely people but I miss Michelle so much um but I'm assuming there's still stories about the Sinn Féin Abu database and the whole data protection stuff like I, I had tweeted about this during the week as well and I, I'm sure as as you know when you're canvassing like the register of electors is available to anyone like I was going to run a Shannon campaign a couple of years ago and obviously that's different because it was the NUI grads you know you're allowed to get the information on the people who might be voting for you and you're allowed canvas um, and I remember even during the repeal the eighth ref you know we were trying to keep um, canvas tallies and data and if there were any kind of lukewarm houses you'd mark them down because in an ideal world there'd be enough people and enough time and you'd go back to them just before the vote so I really don't get this whole thing about, you know, the, the obsession by some journalists of the, the Sinn Féin database and, and the work that they're doing and the fact that their social media person was in Serbia or something. And then, you know, I think Leo's website was taken down because people were like, well, what is the privacy uh, um, policies on, on other politicians' websites? And, you know, I think there is evidence that, that others, some of the information is held in, in other EEA countries. Um, there's been such a big thing about this, but I think it was last weekend, there was just a couple of teeny tiny, because I did get the Sunday papers last week, um, small articles on the fact that the Tanishta has been questioned by the guards because of leaking of confidential documents. And it's again, it's that thing of, it's like the smoke and mirrors thing of, you know, we'll throw this story out at the public and the media. Well, it, it's exactly what Trump used to do. Remember, anytime like some mad story was coming up about America, you just had to look into the fact that Trump was been investigated for his taxes or there was something, again, something much more sinister going on, you know, that they didn't want 
to make a story of. And it's really, really frustrating. And I think the media have a responsibility here as well to be like, yeah, he's all work off canvas and sheets and databases and that's that what you do but what about you know these are not all been investigated by the guards and had your mobile phones confiscated by the guards because you've been you know you might have been leaking confidential information and that's the part that 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 gets me um we you all think, have a part to play in this you think if they're going to launch a, a campaign to divert uh, attention away from themselves particularly around the, the database that they would have at least done their own work and making sure that their 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 own house is in order before they start oh. throwing rocks like um yeah it's just been bizarre to watch the whole thing and as you said like it, it definitely is like it, it kind of that contrast of like well what else is actually going on here why is there being so so much of a big deal made out of this when anyone like any all of us have been canvassing and um, we know that, that this is like that there are those kind of things and then obviously then the whole thing where it's like oh it's hosted in a different country is that not what the eu is about are we not supposed to have this like you know global like uh it's also like um, that thing I was reading about that as well. Thank you, Bear, <laughs> for bringing up something we've all read about. But um, I was reading about that as well last week. And the, I saw that like Finnegale were suggesting bringing in new rules that wouldn't allow political workers from outside the Irish Republic to work um, in elections in Ireland, which means that like, for example, pe- like I'll use people before profit because I don't work for Sinn Féin, I work for PVP, but PVP is a 32 county party. We have workers in the north, we have workers in the south, we have elected reps in the north, we have elected reps in the south. When elections happen in the north, I will go up to the north and I will canvass and I will work on those elections. Same thing for our workers in the north because, you know, we want United Ireland, we're a 32 county party, same way with Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin are also a 32 county party. They have elected reps in the North and in the South. It's like that rule would be really detrimental to people who are involved with politics on both sides of that border. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy, it's partitionist. And it's specifically, like it's, I don't think they're, they're not targeting PVP with that rule. I don't think they're thinking about us really. They are specifically targeting Sinn Féin. Do you know what I mean? And it, it just happens that we get caught in the crossfires with it. But, you know, regardless of that, we should stand against it because, you know, currently, legally, like the North isn't part of Ireland. And, but we have a lot of people who identify with Ireland and who are involved with politics both sides of that border. Mm-hmm. Because politics matters both sides of the border. Um, and we can't cut it out. Like, And it's, you're right, like it's complete bullshit because it's like they're cooking up such a fuss about Sinn Féin keeping a database on voters as if you don't you know when you when you do your election you, you do heat maps you see you know this is an area where we have strong support this is an area where we have middling support you know you know where your strengths are you know where you're going to canvas like every every politician does that yeah. like that's that's politics yeah. <laughs> that's electoralism do you know what I mean and it's, it's, it's funny that it, well it's not funny at all but like it, it, that this is made, that's been suggested by a government that has the republican party in their in their name like and you know it's oh. just beyond a joke at this stage well I did read the paper uh, at <laughs> well, okay we see you girl <laughs> Teacher's yeah so. Podcast um, so I was having a look at the Sunday times and there was a couple of stories on the front page that says the state reserves uh, spent as COVID bill tops 12 billion. Um, we, there's also another story around how the gangster Hutch tipped off over a warrant uh, for his arrest. And then there's also a story around um, the former aide Cummings to blame British MP for virus death toll, which is actually a really interesting one. So basically Dominic Cummings is preparing evidence um, against Boris Johnson 
um, uh, to hold him accountable for ten, tens of thousands of deaths um, in the second wave of the, of the pandemic. So this is apparently, I haven't, I don't follow the UK news a lot, but this is apparently a big deal and he's been kind of a lot of attacks here. He, like he's he um, basically is saying that he was too um, slow to shut down the borders. And this is the specific piece. And it's re- I'm just bringing it up because I think it's really interesting um, to see how that will play out. Will it set a precedent um, for the same in the same way that's happening in Ireland, obviously, where mm-hmm. a lot of people would argue that you know the, the the response here hasn't been adequate? I definitely would be arguing for that anyway. And would the Irish government be liable for the same? You know, if the, mm-hmm. if something does come from that, which I think is really interesting. But there's also a horrendous story as well. Um, India India braced for five hundred thousand mm-hmm. infections in a day, and there's yeah. an image there of like a man in front of pits of fire, and the caption is. Indian victims of COVID-19 are being burnt on mass funeral um, and in, in Delhi and other cities. And like, mm-hmm. it's just absolutely scandalous. And at the part, the, like, they, they, they seem to, they, yeah, there's, a, there's more of it, the story uh, further on in the paper, but basically um, they're having like mass um, kind of like political rallies and stuff. And they're kind of not following any restrictions. And it's just, they're actually record breaking that, that that's happening there. But like, I suppose there is vaccinations happening, but I like, I'm sure I don't have the figure in front of me, but I'm sure if you looked, you'd probably find that the, um, that the European countries are getting a far, far more um, than, than India is, despite them oh, yeah. being in I think that, bad I think that's I think that story is so important because India were one of the countries who have been petitioning for a people's vaccine, um, along with like, I think a hundred other companies, including a lot of African countries um, and um, like East Asian countries. And like, that's, I think like that cuts to the heart of what the issue is because India has huge uh, facilities like that they could be manufacturing vaccines in. They could be doing it, do you know what I mean? And they could have their population vaccinated. Same way we could, like we could be vaccinating, we could be producing vaccines here, but obviously we're in a much better position because we're a wealthy country in Europe. So, you know, even though our vaccine rollout has been made a hames of and it's very slow, we're still getting it a lot faster than the majority of the world. And the majority of the world is, you know, the global south or the majority mm-hmm. world who are really not going to be, some of them aren't looking at any vaccinations until 20, like till the end of this year, to 20, into 2022. Do you know what I mean? So I think that really, like, for me, that story, I was I was reading that story actually yesterday. Um, that story is like, I think really shows the necessity of a people's vaccine because as well, like, um, I think Gina was saying in the doll the other day or at a press conference, he was like, if until we vaccinate the whole world, no one's safe from this virus. And in a very pragmatic way, if, you know, if the whole of Europe's vaccinated, that's fine. But, um, you know, if, if the whole of like the whole continent of Africa hasn't seen vaccines or like, you know, whole of India hasn't seen the majority of India and Africa haven't seen vaccines. Right. Like um, new variants are going to break out. They could be they could be they, they could be like immune to our own vaccines. Do you know what I mean? Like it, well, no one's safe until the whole world's vaccinated. So we need a people's vaccine. The idea that we're putting we are literally we have we are only producing vaccines at 50 percent of our global capacity currently. And that is to increase profits for private companies, mm-hmm. private companies who have had huge public investment for these vaccines to be made. They've had several billion put into them for these vaccines to be made. You know what I mean? So it's public money that's going into making the vaccines mm-hmm. and private profits that are coming out. That's it. And I think that's such a good point. Like, you know, that that collective response is really needed and we need those. We need to, uh, we need that people's vaccine. We need it. Um, and I think that this image on the front of the Sunday Times this morning, really highlights it and really brings it home and I'm glad to see it given the space on the front because often we, we're not looking outside of our own mm-hmm. bubble or outside of Europe when it comes to these conversations and I think that's vital 
I'm going to wrap it up. We've had such a good conversation <laughs> here. We actually have spanned a lot of different topics, whether they were on the front page or newspaper or not, but it's been really good to chat and I've really enjoyed it. Um, and I want to say thank you so much to Burnside for such um, a, a really uh, a really great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I suppose I hope you have too. And I suppose uh, I'll wrap it up here. That's it. Um, so the, and just a reminder again, like obviously the, the week at work is part of Left Block. Um, and I would recommend you checking out the socials because there's something exciting happening in the next week. So check Left Block out on social media. That's Left Block without the K. Um, and we'll leave it here for this week. Thank you very much. Thanks, Michelle. Yay. Thanks, Bruce.